0: I don't even know the guy's name, but I heard a couple of weeks ago there was a gentleman who everybody thought was dead. And they zipped him up and they put him in a body bag and he woke up. Did you hear that story? And he just kind of fought himself out of the body bag uh, because he was still alive. Something about pacemaker, I don't know. I didn't read the story in depth. Um, and I heard just in the last couple of days that he basically had two more weeks and now he's dead uh, and the doctors are telling us he's really dead. <laughs> I know you're not supposed to do jokes with people dying, um, but there is kind of a little bit of humor in that sense of inability to know whether somebody actually was dead or not, not unless, unless of course, you're the doctor in that case. And, and then we consult uh, Princess Bride in one of my all-time favorite movies where we have that magician who is able to say about the hero that he is what? Only... He's only mostly dead. Yeah. And, and you know, we're going to actually look at a story of the resurrection where to be mostly dead is not good news. You ever thought about that? What if being mostly dead is not good news? It certainly wouldn't be good news when it comes to Christ. And I want us to talk about the reality of whether that's good news when it comes to us as well this morning. So our text is in John chapter 19 and our witness is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus as well. Two people actually who were so reticent, who were even shy about, uh, protective, self-protective in regards to anybody knowing that they had fallen in love with Jesus and their lives had been transformed by him. Uh, Those two people, while everyone else is running away, isn't that interesting? Well, all of the disciples who had followed, 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 followed had abandoned him, you have these two people. Who would have thought it? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are the ones that come forward and say, Jesus is dead and we want to honor him because of who he was in our lives. And so I want us to look at this quickly, run through some bullet points on it and get to point of application for us. And the first is this. The witness to the resurrection of Joseph of Arimathea and of Nicodemus is this. Jesus really did die. Uh, and there are actually theories out there that say, well, he was only mostly dead. I mean, really. Because they, it's just hard for people to imagine that someone could actually physically rise from the dead. So he probably wasn't dead in the first place. And there's a swoon theory out there. And uh, it, it, it has a little bit of traction to it but really not much when you look at stories like this and you know what he went through and you see the suffering that was a part of it and you realize that the Romans did all of this. If anybody was good at keeping people mostly dead and suffering and then of killing them, dead, dead, it was the Romans. Uh, They were so good at it. They knew how to do it. And we in our unsophisticated minds have no clue of what they understood about torture and about killing someone in really, really cruel ways. So much so when they saw Jesus' body on the cross and he appeared to be dead, they ran him through and drained the life out of him, the, 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 the blood and, and the liquids uh, that were there as well. Romans knew quite a lot about death, um, and uh, Jesus died. Uh, the, the evidence of the resurrection um, starts here. Uh, he was dead. He really lived and he really died. But there's another element to that, and it comes to the second point why did he die? What? Why was it even necessary for this to take place? Well, there are three reasons, and the first one is so almost, of course, you're going to say that's crazy, but we're going to come back to it a little bit. And it's this. The reason why it's important for us to understand this is you can't have a resurrection without a death, right? If If the person doesn't die, the person can't really resurrect from the dead. It might appear that way, but it's not real. It's only mostly, it's not even mostly, it's just pretend. You can't have a resurrection If you don't have a death. The second reason is this. Without death, there is no forgiveness. Without the death of Christ, there is no remission of sin. It is not taken care of. And long before Jesus ever walked on earth and taught these things to his disciples, and we read about them, we can go back to the book of Isaiah that prophetically talked about the Messiah, Jesus, who would come. And it talks about how critical the death was on our behalf. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6, we read these words Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, uh, death resulting wounds, we are all healed. Uh, earlier, later on, as Jesus is talking to his disciples in Mark chapter ten, I think it's in verse forty-five, he says he talks about the Son of Man who comes, and it says this that he gave his life as a ransom for all, as a ransom he paid for whatever he, he paid for what imprisoned us. Uh, he, 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 he he paid the price of our sin. And even after Jesus has died, and there's two disciples that are walking along the Emmaus Road, and, and Jesus appears alongside of them, they don't even know that Jesus is there with them. And yet it says there that Jesus explains from all of the scriptures why the Son of Man had to die. He d- explained the reason why the Messiah had to go through these things. And, and the, the, the central core of it was this, because He loves us, Oh. Oh, how he loves us. And he knows that uh, there's a sin that our rebellion must be paid for. We even sing that song. It's been uh, rewritten to new music recently. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain and he, he washed it white as snow. It's God's sense, his very nature um, that, that demands that justice rule. I mean, think about it. We want it, don't we? When someone does harm to us or someone precious to us, there's this thing inside of us that builds up, and we just want it to be made right. There's, there's a sense of justice there. And where does that come from? Well, we're made in the image of God. It's there for us as well. We ask the question, who is going to ensure that justice is done? And God has that same core conviction. Justice must be done. And how is it done? Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and He washed it white as snow. So these are the reasons why, and we can go into greater complexity, and we will talk about more of that as we walk through this Easter season, that Jesus' death is necessary. You can't have death without a resurrection. You can't have a resurrection without a death. And Christ's death was the remission of our sin. But there's another reason why it's important for us to know uh, the, the necessity of Jesus. It's necessary for us to know about Jesus' death. And it goes actually back to one of the very first things that Jesus said. You go back to Mark chapter 1 and you go to Matthew and you can find this as well too. Matthew and Mark were really keen to note this particular thing. When Jesus meets with a couple of young men and they're fascinated by Jesus. They're fascinated by His teaching. They're fascinated by what He knows. They're just, they're just, they're just focused on Him. And Jesus gives to them In invitation, in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, we read these words. And Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to him, do you know what Jesus said? Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Those of us who say we're Christians... Those of us who are believers are believers because we've made this choice to follow him. And in this context, he said, well, you will follow me and you will become fishers of men. And watch as I do that with my life and watch as I invite you to do the same thing as well. But it goes on and we get deeper and deeper into the reality of what it means for for us to follow him. And, And we look at the places where he takes us. Followers of Christ reached conclusions like when, when, when when they were sure that Jesus would walk into Jerusalem and die there, followers of Christ said, let us go with him that we also may die with him. I mean, they thought there was a possibility that in following Jesus, their death would result as well. Actually, it's a little bit different than that. As we look at the teachings of Christ, we discover this, that those people that decide to follow Jesus actually start with dying. It doesn't possibly get there. To follow Jesus means to begin with a commitment to die. Jesus died, and we will follow him there. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Someone said that, when someone would walk, watch a person carrying a cross through town, they knew that they would not be coming back. You take up your cross and you follow me, he said. You see, this is why it's important for us to know that Jesus really died. Isn't it interesting that we think that the skeptics need to know that Jesus really died? Who really needs to know that Jesus really died? I do. Are you sure he wasn't just mostly dead? No, he was completely dead. And that may be valuable for those that don't understand what Jesus is about, but it's critical for us to know. Jesus died and we follow. Someone said this about those words of Jesus when he said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, when Jesus bids us come, he bids us come and die. That's just the character of what it is. Now, this is sounding really morbid, isn't it? But there is something that is beautiful about everything that Jesus calls us to. Do you remember the first element of the gospel? (laughs) God is good and he is beautiful. And if Jesus bids us come and die, he does it because there is so much in it that is so rich. And so let's look at what that looks like as we get to this third piece of this. In following Jesus, uh, death is is necessary. There's a critical component of it in my life, and I want to point out three elements of it this morning. The first reason why it's necessary is His life doesn't come without our death. Without death, there is no newness of life. Jesus talked about this in John chapter twelve, verse twenty-four. He said, "Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear much fruit. It just simply must happen. Without without, his life doesn't come without our death." Um, One of my uh, grandma's verses that she, Grandma Tilly, I called her Spunky. She died at ninety-eight years old, and she lived with us and. What a precious gift my parents gave, my mom in particular, because it was her mother-in-law. And just as godly as mother-in-laws can be, they're still mother-in-laws, right? Uh, But Grandma Telly was with us in our home, and and she aggravated me, and she challenged me, and she loved me, and she pushed me forward in so many ways. And uh, there was one day where she came into my room, and she said, Mark, I've got a verse for you. And it's this one right here. It's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where it speaks about this very thing. In Galatians 2, verse 20, we read these words. "Um, I have been crucified with Christ, uh, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with with Christ and I no longer live. His life doesn't come without my death. In Colossians chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 there's a similar teaching to this where Paul says for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now when Christ who is your life appears, you see there's that piece of it. Now, I'm going to get to that second piece of it a little bit but the first piece of it I want us to understand, without my death His life doesn't come. So what is that about? This is the second piece of the necessity of this. My death allows him to rule. Do you see, if I die, I get rid of me. I I, I am gone. You see, a a mostly dead person can kind of almost get there and then just kind of through grit and determination just kind of gut it out and, and, and get their life back again. But if a person dies, it's over. There's no capacity any longer to resurrect one's self if you're dead. It just is not possible. This is what death actually means. It means to lay down control. Dead people have no influence over what happens next. Dead people have no influence over what happens next. To lose one's life means it's gone. You know that phrase, you can't take it with you. Well, what is it that we don't take with us into our new life? We don't take our career with us. It's no longer my career anymore. I died to that. We can't take our assets with us. That's what's meant by that phrase. We we can't take our retirement with us. We're dead. We can't take our kids with us. We can't take our leisure with us. We can't take our toys with us. We can't take our honor with us, our reputation with us into death. It's all gone. It's no longer mine anymore. I will it to somebody else if I have the power to do it. I no longer have control over it. And so think about what this means if i don 't have take my honor with me and my reputation with me here 's the beauty of it. I can no longer be offended because uh, you can 't disrespect me anymore i 'm dead. You get that you, you just can 't hurt me anymore i 'm dead you can 't take any stuff from me it 's gone it's it's just not it 's just not mine anymore. And that's what we're talking about here. You know, I think there's a misunderstanding about what it means to live the Christian life. And it's a little bit of the Tony Stark, Iron Man thing, which I I, I don't know. I, I think they're great movies. And, and just, I kind of dream about being Tony Stark. And where where is the armor, right? And, and it's kind of like that. I think we think of, boy, the Christian life is all of a sudden, whoosh, whoosh, you got all of this stuff to just kind of make you an Iron Man in some sort of a way. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of the armor of God from Ephesians 6, but that's a whole other thing. What Christ is talking about here is it's not like when we become a Christian, he gives us all of this weaponry to create all of these things. When we become Christians, we let him occupy us. We're not the guy inside. He is. And everything that I have been given in my life is now at his disposal. He controls it, and it is subject to, given to him, to do with it what he wants. That's what it means to die. I give to him everything I've got for whatever he wants. My purposes, they're dead. His purposes rule my heart. That means I think about this now. How do I use those toys in my garage for Him? How do I use those assets for Him? How do I use the time in my day? How do I use the energy in my life? Because I'm dead. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And it is Christ who reigns in my body. How do I use those things? It's His brain, His purposes guide our lives. And that brings us to the third aspect of us understanding what this means. My death allows His life and His newness of life. And this is where the cool part is, really. It's because once I die, and once I give Him the suit, and and once He begins to rule, I get to see what it really means for Christ to be alive. If I decide to live mostly dead, I'm going to live miserable. That's the danger of being mostly dead. I kind of loan it to him, and I suffer a little bit because it's really mine. Maybe it's yours, maybe it's mine. But if I'm dead and that's gone, I get to now watch what God does with the stuff. And that's where the thrill is. That's where the joy is found in this whole journey. My death allows His life. It allows me to know for the first time the reality of the resurrection. Not the reality of someone who suffers a lot and mostly dies. But the reality of the resurrection. Because I'm dead, He's alive, and I get to see what He does. With my heart, with my humility, with my stuff. With my life. <laughs> That's why he wants me to follow him into death. Because he then lives. You know, we do this, we, we wrestle with this even in regards to, to Lent. We, we have a sense, and Tim talked about this last Sunday, to give something up for Lent that makes us mostly dead, Right? I mean, if you're on one of those diets, you might feel mostly dead. But the the piece of what this is supposed to be about is not giving something up because there can be misery in it. There's giving something over to Him. Our whole life, our stuff, our little G-gods, we give them to Him. It's not about something that brings misery to my life or loss, but challenge Um, It's not mine, God. It's yours. Let me give you an illustration of this. I think one of the common attitudes we have in our culture, a pervading attitude really is this, is uh, how to live a happy life. I mean, there are books written on this, right? And there are people trying to sell you products so that you might live a happy life. And they say, if you buy this thing, and then there are pictures of someone, uh, I don't know, uh, that, 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 that just is, is a picture of peace or a picture of contentment, right? You buy this and you get it, but you don't even have to buy it. There's just this messaging that goes on in my culture, and I fall prey to it, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you do too. And it, it's this. Make sure you protect yourself, Mark. Manage your circumstances. Manage your time commitments. Manage the demands on your life because you've got to protect you. No one will look out for you but you. And, and so we try to do all of those things and, and we, try to, we try to grab that vacation because it's, it's, it's for me and I've got to protect myself. We try to say I've got to say no to more things along the way. Uh, and and uh, and there's this there's this picture to don't give away too much don't let the burn, candle burn at both ends the path to peace is managing your circumstances and Jesus would say that is bunk the path to peace is being aware of your calling the path to peace is knowing how to use all of the resources that God has given you—that He lives within—because you're dead. The path to peace is knowing one's purpose. Christ takes human intuition and puts it on His head, and we have this formula that says, "Peace." This is how you get peace. Ten. 10 minus 5 equals peace. 10 things on your plate, and you erase 5 of them, and you hope then that you'll have contentment or peace, right? I mean, that's the formula. Uh, And Jesus Jesus turns all of that on its head and says, I've got a different formula to you, and it doesn't have anything to do with subtraction, but it has something to do with addition. Here it is. Your life now dead, surrendered completely, the presence of Jesus Christ in your life used for His purposes equals peace, equals contentment, equals hope, equals joy. You see, that's Christ's formula. (laughs) It's not subtraction. It's acknowledgement of what it means to follow Jesus and it's welcoming him in. It's letting go of my way in order to experience the newness of life. So I look at all of that stuff, all of this stuff that I've got in my life that Jesus occupies and my question then becomes how will I leverage that vacation for him? How do I ensure that when I come back from that I will be revitalized in such a way that I can do what I'm called to more effectively? How do I use those toys, those things around me in a way that actually can contribute to the purposes of God. And maybe it means I use them. Maybe it means I give them away. How will I use my time? How will I use my time in such a way that it's for Him? And even in my human thinking, I think that's going to burn me out. And then I discover the miracle of what happens when I do it His way and and I am, am strengthened by it. Now, God gives us a head to figure it out, but it's a head that starts with this conclusion. Everything in my life is for His purposes. How do I manage those things well enough that they might bring glory to Him? Don't be a person whose life is about mostly dying. Be one who is actually a witness to the resurrection. Not by being mostly dead, but by being Completely dead. Mostly dead people don't experience new life. Dead people discover that Christ is their joy and their satisfaction and their strength and their purpose. Now, what does it look like? There are some steps to this, and I'm going to give us some time to, be able to reflect on it. When I was a kid, not kid, I don't know. I was between my junior and senior year in high school, and uh, I went to a church camp. And while I was at the church camp, the pastor talked about um, what God was like and what Christ had done. And he called us as, as young people to, to uh, uh, make a decision. And I was a Christian kid. I mean, I, w- I went to youth group. I was in church. Believe me, we were in church. <laughs> we were in church all the time. It just drove me crazy. But I felt pretty good about myself because of it. Um, and, uh, and I went to this camp. And uh, the pastor pulled out a text from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And this was my Bible back then, and it was King James, and it said this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he said to us, "It's it's about giving your life as a sacrifice to God. It's about choosing death. And that night, there's a picture. Can we just see that up there? This is my Bible right there. Uh, August 8th, 1975, I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to die. I am going to die. I'm going to go back for my senior year of high school, and I'm going to live it as if it's all about him. And I went back to my cabin, and I sat in my bunk, and I just put in the time. It was at 10.45 p.m. that I did it. And and, and and there it sits because I decided I'm going to die. I wonder if there are some of you in this room that you just say, you know, I remember, I remember that, and I forgot. That's that's what I wanted my life to be about. And you know what? I I got so much stuff around me uh, that is about me. I forgot I died. And in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand up and reestablish that you're dead. And and dead people aren't self-conscious. I'm going to ask you to stand up. I want to tell you one thing first. I'm on my way to Haiti on um, uh, a week from this Sunday, after services next Sunday. I'm headed down to Haiti, and there's some pastors down there uh, that are just in really t- tough circumstances and try to serve God's church well and we're going to get them together and we're going to have a retreat and I get to be a part of it and uh, some of your resources are actually going um, with us down there to just provide a place of great uh, refreshment for these guys and so the guy who was charged the program interviewed a couple the a number of the uh, couples that were invited he said you know we want to just provide some stuff to you that would just be a blessing to you what would you like you know, what, what, what could we get for you? It was kind of as a swag bag. And uh, so uh, put together a list of them. And Jimmy, who, who who was talking about he said, you know what, there was one pastor who came up to me and he said, Jimmy, what I would really like would be a really nice. And he said, I wasn't sure what he was going to talk about. Suit, bike, motorbike. What I would like would be a really nice flashlight. (laughs) There's a guy who just wants to keep moving forward and do ministry well. A really nice flashlight. And my guess is some of you in this room are saying, I can do that. But here's my question. Can you want that? Oh, it's so easy for us to do that. I can pull out my wallet right now. How would you like to want that? And that's it. And God doesn't hit us over the head and say, you fool, why don't you want it? Christ in me helps me to just want that. Whatever it takes to bring glory to God. So, here's what I want you to do. Those of you, there are some of you at Blue Valley, I'm going to just ask you to stand right now. If you say, you know what? I forgot. That's what I want. I want to be dead again in this way. And you just go ahead and stand. We're not waiting on anything. Just to say, you know what? This is it. I forgot. I forgot what it was about. I wonder if there's some people in here who said, "You know what? I've never done that. It's never been my understanding of it. But I I just thought this whole Christian thing was, we just kind of come to church." Um, by the way, there are way too many of you standing. I that's I shouldn't even say that. Let me just pray for us, God. I just pray that what we're what we're wrestling with right now. Um, would actually um, lead to us uh, bringing honor and glory to you. I am so sorry I even said that, Lord. I just, I just am thrilled that this could be what Hillcrest is, God. Uh, a church filled with dead people, Lord. And I pray that you'd show us what that means as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We've got about five minutes here on the Prairie Village side. In Blue Valley, you can take off. Tim, I know you're out there, and Jason. But here's what I want us to do. I want you to take about five minutes here, and I want you to ask God, God, what does it mean now for me? What is this about? And practically speaking, and what those terms are, what do I need to treat as if it's dead? Is it my reputation? Is it my sense of honor? Is it my some stuff? Is it my career? And God... What does it mean for you to actually use that with your life lived in me? And what does it mean for this to be not about another attempt for me to do something right, but for him actually to be the one that transforms who I am? God, speak to us now, we pray, in Jesus' name.